As we transition to our sermon, the teaching this week comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. These are God's words for his people. We would be wise to listen. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. And today we are continuing our series through 1 Peter, which is a letter about the living hope that we have in Christ and the manner of living that hope in Christ inspires and produces in us. Today, we are looking into what is truly one of the most obscure passages of the New Testament. Peter says some things that sound very strange to us. But here's the good news. We don't have to answer every question. We don't have to understand every detail in order to walk away from this passage with the confidence and living hope that Peter intends to share with us. As you might have guessed from the reading, we'll be talking about baptism today. Now, Peter is not really making a point about baptism per se. Rather, he is using baptism to reinforce his broader argument that we should suffer faithfully for righteousness' sake, knowing that we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. Even so, what Peter does say about baptism is controversial. So let me start by saying this. Whenever human beings disagree about something, there is a natural tendency toward making overstatements. And that's especially true when Christians talk about baptism. There is a spectrum of perspectives on baptism. On one extreme, some believe that baptism gives eternal security to a person. Because you are baptized, you are saved forever. And that practice produces presumption. It causes people to conclude that what they do with the rest of their life doesn't really matter. On the other, on the other extreme, some believe that baptism is merely a symbol. We're supposed to get baptized because the Bible says to, but aside from that, there's, there's really nothing special about baptism. There's no divine grace in the act of baptizing a person. But neither of these extremes actually accounts for how the Bible talks about baptism. And I think we can all agree that our doctrine of baptism must account for how the Bible talks about baptism. We must maintain our commitment to the scriptures even when we're led to say things that ruffle feathers. Even when we're led to reconsider things that we thought we had figured out a long time ago. And so what difference does water make when applied to a person in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What is the difference 
between getting baptized and not getting baptized. For modern American evangelicals, these are not simple questions, but they are important questions, and here's why. The context of this passage is faithful suffering. Peter is talking about suffering for the faith, and for some reason, he launches into a biblical theology of baptism. Somehow, Peter's doctrine of baptism is supposed to teach us something about suffering and waiting patiently on God in the midst of trial. So, if our own doctrine of baptism does not teach us how to suffer well, it must be deficient in some way. If baptism is supposed to give us confidence and assurance, if baptism is to play a part in giving us the living hope Peter has been talking about, then it's worth asking. Does my understanding of baptism give me assurance and hope and faith to walk through suffering? If not, I must be missing something. Let's look at the text, verses 18 to 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. So, Jesus is our example for how to suffer faithfully. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the Spirit. And verse 19, in the Spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, I'm not going to go through all the options for what Peter might mean when he refers to spirits in prison. And to be honest, I don't know what he means. I, I have an idea, but I don't know. Fortunately for us, the exact identity of the spirits in prison is less important than the content of what Jesus says to them. Jesus proclaims his victory. As it says in verse 22, all angels, authorities, and powers have been made subject to him. He's proclaiming his victory. And how did Jesus achieve his victory? Through faithful suffering. By being obedient to the Father, even unto death. And so whatever Peter intends to communicate, it's within the context of Jesus' victory over all powers. All things have been made subject to the lordship of Christ. Again, Peter wants us to have a living hope, even in the midst of suffering, even in the face of death. And so he reminds us that the gospel of Jesus Christ has turned the world upside down. For faithful followers of Jesus, what appears to be defeat is actually victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus was faithful unto death and he was resurrected unto life. And the same is true for us. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, we will live again. We have the promise of new life which means that we can persevere through suffering and trial, through wickedness and injustice and oppression. And that's precisely why I think Peter moves on to talk about Noah. 
Because this is, this is how Genesis chapter 6 describes the days of Noah. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That doesn't exactly sound like the society we all long for, does it? Noah was surrounded by wickedness, and yet he trusted in God and persevered. He continued proclaiming the truth. He continued building the ark. And in the end, he was brought safely through water and into a new creation. Think about that. The ark was an embryo, the embryo of a new creation. From that relatively tiny ark, the entire earth was repopulated. So just like Adam and Eve, the humans and animals on the ark were called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This was a fresh start. And to use First Peter language, this was a new birth. And according to Peter, it all corresponds to baptism. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Okay, so just like the ark was the embryo of a new creation, so Jesus was the embryo of a new creation. Just like the ark, Jesus passed through judgment and into new birth. And just like the ark, he saves everyone who abides in him. Now, baptism is the doorway through which we enter the ark. The church is the body of Christ. And the sacrament that marks our entrance and initiation and incorporation into the body of Christ is baptism. Baptism puts us in the ark. It seals our union with Christ. Inside the ark is where we are safe. Inside the ark is where we find salvation. So because baptism welcomes us into the ark of the body of Christ, we can say that baptism saves us. Again, we, we want to be able to talk about baptism as the Bible talks about baptism. The phrase, baptism saves us, is controversial, but it's a direct quote from the Bible. So how can we say with Peter that baptism saves us while remaining faithful to our theological commitments as Protestant Christians? Well, as we see in verse 20, Noah was saved through water. He was not saved by water. Noah was saved by the ark. Likewise, Christians are saved through baptism, but we are not saved by baptism. We are saved by Jesus. Jesus brings us safely through. Jesus alone is our salvation. His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. The sacrament of baptism is how Jesus has taught us to come to him which is how Peter can say that baptism saves us. The doorway into the ark saves because the ark is where we find salvation. Okay, but what does this have to do with suffering? Well, Peter is reminding us 
that because we have been baptized, because we are in Christ, the ark, we are safe. What empowers Christian people to patiently suffer at the hands of wickedness? Or to face martyrdom? Well, the knowledge that Jesus did it first. The knowledge that Jesus persevered. The knowledge that Jesus overcame. And the knowledge that we are resting safely in him. Yes, it is dark and stormy outside. The rain is falling. The floodwaters are rising. There is evil and death all around us. But we are here inside the ark safe and secure in union with Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does Peter mean in verse 21 when he appears to qualify his statement regarding baptism? He says that baptism saves us not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Many have argued that Peter is basically negating what he has just said about baptism. They suggest that Peter is equating water baptism with removal of dirt from the body, as if water baptism is nothing more than a bath. Spirit baptism, on the other hand, is what really counts. But frankly, this does violence to the text and makes Peter sound like he has lost his mind. It should be obvious that water baptism is what corresponds to the flood. So what does Peter actually mean? I am thoroughly convinced that Peter is making a comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Rather than translating verse 21 as the removal of dirt from the body, we could just as easily, just as easily translate this phrase as the removal of uncleanness from the flesh. And those words, uncleanness and flesh, call to mind all sorts of biblical references. Before the new covenant in Christ, God's people lived under the old covenant. And the old covenant had all sorts of ritual washings, all sorts of baptisms. These old covenant ritual washings were only capable of removing the defilement of the flesh. They had to do with ceremonial uncleanness, and they had to be repeated as often as a person became unclean. So the Old Covenant ritual washings were only capable of cleansing a person's flesh. They were not capable of cleansing a person's conscience. Baptism is therefore a far more powerful ritual washing because it cleanses the conscience through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I know that was probably a bit tough to follow, especially via YouTube, but listen to how the author of Hebrews describes the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. This is Hebrews chapter 9. Long passage, so I've condensed it a bit. According to the Old Covenant arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various baptisms, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he secured an eternal redemption 
For if the old covenant arrangement purified the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The old covenant baptisms could only purify the flesh. But new covenant baptism can purify the conscience. And so baptism is not magical, but it is powerful. It's like a marriage ceremony where two people are officially united as one flesh. Or it's like an adoption hearing where a child is officially united to a new family. Baptism is a ritual whereby a person is officially incorporated into the body of Christ. Thus, to live unfaithfully following your baptism is to completely miss the point. It's like a husband who deserts his wife as they leave the chapel. Or it's like an adopted child who renounces his new family as soon as they leave the courtroom. So rightly understood, baptism, baptism ought to initiate a lifetime of faithful living within the body of Christ. The ark. The church is where we enjoy safety and security from the raging floodwaters all around us. The church is the vessel that carries us through the storm. And there's, there's plenty of room on board. No matter what sort of suffering we face, even if we suffer unto death, we are safe here by the power of Jesus. He has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. For Peter's original audience, this, mean that, this meant that King Jesus was a higher authority than the wicked rulers who were persecuting them. Because the King of Kings is just, Christians can appeal to him, knowing that injustice will not go unpunished. In the end, the kingdom of God is going to triumph over all others, and he will bring justice and righteousness to a world in turmoil. Jesus Christ, into whom we are baptized, will ultimately prove himself victorious over every evil thing. Whether loneliness, unemployment, anxiety, addiction, chronic illness, COVID-19, corruption, systemic injustice, or death. Through all of these things, Jesus invites you to remember your baptism, and to know with all your heart, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. These are dark and stormy days, and to be honest, they make it darker and stormier. But Jesus has you. Do not be afraid. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so if you feel like you are treading water right now. Remember, you are already safe on the ark. Abide in the ark. Enjoy rest in the ark.
it's going to be okay. Those who entrust themselves to Jesus will never be disappointed. Let's pray this from the Book of Common Prayer, adapted from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty Father, in your mercy, you saved Noah and his family in the ark from the destruction of the flood. We thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for washing us and sanctifying us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for delivering us from destruction and receiving us into the ark that is Christ and his church. Make us steadfast in faith, joyful through hope, and rooted in love, that we may pass through the turbulent floods of this troublesome world and come into the land of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.